Hello, and welcome to episode three of Inherited Will, a One Piece podcast. My name is Thomas. And I'm Jordan. And today we are going to be discussing manga chapter 1001 and anime episode 958. Just to give a brief recap of what this uh, podcast is, we're going to be a weekly One Piece podcast discussing the events of that week's anime episode, manga chapter, any news of the week, Bella is doing a uh, several chapter reread each week, covering events that previously happened in the manga, just going through a chunk of episodes each week. Today, I thought because it's a kind of a slow news week, we would start with the news. This week, I just wanted to briefly provide an update to that Shueisha scandal of sorts that was uh, big in the news last week. In fact, the day that we recorded, a gentleman by the name of Arthur on Twitter He's pretty well known in the One Piece community. He mostly is known for deep dives into each chapter. He puts up a little blurb on his website, the Library of Ohara, each week. It's kind of going real deep into the chapter and pointing out any secrets, that kind of thing that he thinks that Oda included. Last week, the day that we recorded, he put out like a four-page investigation into the Shueisha thing. I'm not going to go into the whole thing because it's kind of a redundant point now, and for a reason I'll get into it in a moment. But it basically boils down to, judging from his investigation, it seems that it was a third party posing as Shueisha striking these accounts. His evidence is stuff like phone numbers not being consistent with the official Shueisha line and small inconsistencies with the information being provided. But on the 14th, just a couple days after that, Shueisha themselves put out a little note on this matter on the Monger Plus app. It's entitled The Copyright Infringement Scam. And it reads, It has come to our attention that Shueisha has been falsely misrepresented by an individual sending copyright and removal requests on Twitter and other social media platforms. Shueisha is currently consulting with the various platforms to investigate what measures can be taken to address this issue. So as of the 14th, it is now confirmed by the mouth of Shueisha themselves that they are not the ones falsely claiming things on Twitter, etc., it's a seemingly evil third party claiming things on their behalf, and they're trying to get to the bottom of it. That's all the news I have for today. Anything you would like to comment on before we move on to the anime? No, just glad it's resolved. You and me both. So, moving on to anime episode 958. This episode was mostly eposition, covering the events of Sengoku telling a group of younger marines about the Rock's pirates. They were a big secret up until this episode. Oh, I wanted to say the same thing I did last week. While we were going to keep it spoiler-free, the events of this particular episode have not been expanded upon in the manga yet, so Jordan and I are, again, free to speculate, pretty much as we see fit up until a small bit that happens towards the end of the episode. But yeah, it does look like this goes based off uh, something I mentioned last week, that I guess uh, S.W.O.R.D., the organization that Drake and Kobe belong to, they do seem to report to Akainu, at least, because the Navy does know about the Kaido Big Mom Alliance. That seemed fair to say? Yeah, I mean, he he definitely knew about it. Now, it's also possible, and I was just, this just popped into my head, that uh, maybe CP0 knew, and they are the ones that reported back to Akainu about it. Maybe not Kobe. That's a fair point. But I'm inclined to think that's probably S.W.O.R.D. Yeah, S.W.O.R.D. makes a lot more sense, considering what we've been shown plus this is just the impression i got from cp0's interaction with orochi 
It seems like the dealings going on between CP0 and Wano are at the behest of the world government and the Celestial Dragons, not the Navy. So it wouldn't surprise me terribly if Kainu didn't know anything about the details of that kind of dealing. I'm just saying that it may not be that confirmed just yet. That sword works for directly for uh, a Kainu. Right, I gotcha. Sengoku tells us the first details about the Rots Pirates, an organization run many years ago by a man named Rots D. Zebek. Members included Whitebeard himself in his younger days, Big Mom, Kaido, Shiki the Golden Lion, the Silver Axe, Captain John, and Wayne Z. How many of those names do you recognize? I'm pretty sure after Shiki I got nothing. So Silver Axe, Captain John, and Wayne Z don't ring any bells? Yeah, those are new. Captain John we have actually heard of before a number of times. Oh. Uh, we first hear about him from Buggy. You know how Buggy's been after like a specific treasure for some time that isn't the One Piece? Yeah. That treasure actually is Captain John's treasure. Okay, all right. A couple other things about Captain John. Moria actually had his body as one of his general zombies on Thriller Bark. Oh, so we've seen him? We've seen his corpse, yes. Right, right. And also, in Impelled Down, uh, you know how the way that Luffy was able to convince Buggy to kind of join his side was by offering him that bangle that he had? Yeah, yeah. That was actually somehow a treasure map leading to Captain John's treasure. That's kind of convenient. It was like his one piece of treasure that he got out of Nami's pile that they got from a Thriller Bark. Which I guess kind of made sense if they had his corpse. It made sense that I would have like a wearable treasure map that he owned. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. I think it's kind of in retrospect strange that uh, Captain John wasn't a bigger deal out of uh, Moria's guys. He was like one of his stronger zombies. But like when Hogback was personally choosing a couple to serve as his bodyguards, you would think that a legendary pirate like Captain John would be first on his list as opposed to Zoro and Sanji zombies. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a, that's a fair critique. I just guess at the time, uh, Captain John wasn't meant to be as big of a deal as he ended up being. We also find out in this episode that Rot D. Zebek was the ruler of Fulla Lead Island, the island that Blackbeard is currently running. Yeah, are we to assume that he was the last owner? Because that's kind of how I took it, at least. I think I would also assume that. I would think that between Rot's running the place and Blackbeard taking it over as kind of a lawless place, I don't have any evidence to that. That's just my assumption based off how we haven't heard anything. It just makes sense. Here's a fun nugget for you, Jordan. Did you know that's not the only uh, link between Rocks and Blackbeard? I did not. I don't know much about Rocks at all. Well, we know his name, and that's the main thing that I'm about to tell you about. Oh, good. His name is Rocks D. Zebek, and the name of Blackbeard's flagship is the Saber of Zebek. Okay. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, that's a tie-in right there. So, needless to say, ever since uh, this was revealed in the manga, people have been speculating wildly that Blackbeard is somehow like biologically related to rocks. Could be. I mean, Oda loves to do it. I guess so. But, like, just because he also owns the same island and he named his ship after the man, possibly, I don't think that's enough evidence to make that assumption just yet. No, but... Maybe Blackbeard worked for him at one point. 
Now, I think there's no doubt that there is some sort of link between the two. But that brings us into the next big news of this episode, the God Valley Incident, in which Garp obtained his title as the Hero of the Marines by uh, teaming up with Roger and defeating every single Rock's pirate. <laughs> Garp definitely earned some more respect. Indeed. I think some of the Marines that Sengoku was talking to seemed to believe that that was like the spark of a chain of heroic events. So this might have been the inciting incident where Garp started really making a name for himself. Though he was already a vice admiral at the time, so I find it pretty hard to believe that could be true. There was a line specifically about that. I, I know what you mean, but yeah, that that would be hard to believe. And we also find out that Garp doesn't like to talk about that for a couple reasons. The first was that he, I guess, was ashamed, according to Sengoku, about having to team up with Roger, who happened to be there, I guess. And he also, just by happenstance, by defeating the Rots Pirates, saved a group of Celestial Dragons and their slaves. I can understand why he would be upset about working with Roger, but he also has reservations towards the Celestial Dragons, to say the least. Yeah, both fair, but like... We know now that Garp had a certain amount of respect for Roger, so it kind of made sense that at the time he wouldn't have wanted to discuss it for the Roger reason. I'm not sure that so much checks out anymore. It's probably just the Celestial Dragons thing. Okay, that's fair. That does beg the question, why do we think all these people were gathered on this place called God Valley at the same time? Sengoku doesn't want to tell him because, uh, I think the implication was that the world government were the ones that wiped the island itself off the map. But why do we think that Rocks and all his crew, Garp and Roger, were all in the same place at the same time? It's tough to say, you know. There was no One Piece at the time, so it's not like you can tie it all back to that. Could have something to do with the Ponyglyphs. I don't know where those actually started, but I know they're pretty old, considering some of them have to do with ancient weapons, I believe. That is correct. The Ponyglyphs just kind of popped up seemingly out of nowhere after the Void Century. And we don't actually know where most of them originated from. You know, we know that Big Mom has one now. We know that Kaido has one now. Luffy has a rubbing of one that has been chilling on Zoe since the uh, the Void Century. We don't actually know where Big Mom and Kaido got theirs from. We also don't know where the Mystery Fourth one is. So maybe that was the location of one of the Road Ponoglyphs, so they were all converging on to try and get some information about Laugh Tale. Right, like I'm just trying to think of these large overarching things that would make sense for that many extremely powerful pirates to group together for. I think it might be onto something there. That's my headcanon as of now. That was the location of a road pond glyph. Anything else to comment on about the rocks before we move on to fun bounty stuff? No, let's get into those numbers. So, uh, your boy Brand New, who I think it's funny that it's been amazingly consistent that he's kind of the bounty guy. He was the one who decided Luffy's bounty all those years ago. Yeah, it's a nice little thread between it all. He comments that they need to choose new bounties for the Warlords, because the four remaining ones haven't had their bounties updated in quite some time. I think that's going to be a fairly difficult task for them. I think they can raise it based off how much stronger they have been perceived to have become. Let's say, for example, we don't know how long Mihawk 
as when working for the world government. But let's say that before he became a warlord, he wasn't considered the strongest swordsman in the world, right? And I don't think we know what his bounty was prior to becoming a warlord. But let's say, for example, it was 100,000 or 100 million berries. I think that it would jump up pretty significantly after that, just because of how much stronger he would have become from his reputation, at least, between point A and point B, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, his his title alone carries a lot of weight with it. You, you got a good point there. Indeed. And uh, Buggy's bounty was only like 15 million or something, something real low. But now he has all these like impel down prisoners on his team that would probably send his bounty shooting quite high compared to what it was at least. Yeah, that's where Buggy deserves to be. Then we find out what the bounties are of the four current Yonko, as well as Whitebeard before he died, and Roger himself. And to briefly cover the actual numbers, Blackbeard's bounty was, or is, 2,247,600,000. So in a matter of two years, he jumped up from a bounty of literally zero to almost two and a half billion. Well done, Blackbeard. He's very scary. Yep. Shanks became a Yonko, I think it said six years ago, and we don't know what his bounty was prior to becoming a Yonko, but uh, he's only been like one of the biggest pirates in the world for that amount of time. And his bounty is already 4,048,900,000, not that much lower than Big Mom and Kaido, who have presumably been Yonko for much longer. Well, he's tough, obviously. (laughs) I guess so. We have not seen him do anything except for spook a fish, but uh, the implication is certainly there. We also find out here that uh, his crew has a high average bounty and is considered to be the most balanced among the Yonko. Yeah, that was that was interesting. It's good to hear that on top of being strong, Shanks apparently is a good strategist at the very least. They also mention three people by name of being particularly threatening on... Uh, Shanks' crew. Those three being Ben Beckman, Lucky Roo, and Yasop. We've kind of already known from the beginning, pretty much, that uh, they're the three heavy hitters on Shanks' crew. Absolutely. Then they also show, like, a quick flash to the Marineford War. Those are the guys that were hanging out with Shanks at that time. The guy with the monkey, etc. Still don't have names for those guys, but I think the implication is that they are also among Shanks' big boys. I'm sure they'll get their time in the spotlight at some point. No doubt. One day we'll cover Shanks in detail. One day. Then Big Mom's bounty is revealed. It is 4,388,000,000. Only a couple hundred million higher than Shanks's. Again, in spite of her having been pirating for much, much longer than him. Yeah, she's been in the game for a long time, but she's kind of been doing her own thing. She and Kaido seemed almost to be in a stalemate for a long time. They sat at the top and they felt comfortable there, but now they've got someone biting at their heels. I suppose that's true. It just makes you wonder, like, Big Mom and Kaido, we know, were like evil people doing evil things for many years, right? Mm -hmm. Shanks, every time we've seen him, he's been like a pretty chill man, right? So it just makes you wonder what Shanks did to threaten the world government so that his bounty skyrocketed that high. 
Like Luffy, he's done some bad things as far as the world government is concerned, but he like, for example, raised the judicial island and his lobby to the ground as far as like the public knows, right? Mm-hmm. And that only got him like a 200 million parry increase, <laughs> you know? That's a good point. They, hmm. well, I mean, we know at least a lot of what Big Mom has done. Yeah, that's true. I mean, she had a reputation very early on for destroying the entire island of Elbaf or something that they exaggerated when she was like eight, I think, at the time. And then under uh, her chef guy, Strusen, under his tutelage of sorts, uh, only continued to do naughty things for a long time after that. Exactly. Now, Kaido, we don't really know much about, but... The world government strikes me as the type to hold a grudge. No doubt about that. Dory and Broggy had those bounties of a hundred million berries, but they had been on Little Garden for a hundred years or something, and their bounties were still good. So Exactly. Those bounties don't just go away if you're inactive for enough time, I guess. Speaking of Kaido, his bounty is the highest of the four, but not by much, at 4,611,100,000. Three hundred million ish higher than Big Mom, and about six hundred million ish higher than Shanks. We also find out here that uh, when he was on the Rots Pirates, he was just an apprentice, a little baby boy of sorts. Right. So he's his career started later. Makes you wonder how he got his start. You know, like we know Big Mom again started out on Elbath, got into the world of piracy through Strusen. We know Shanks was on uh, Roger's crew and Blackbeard was on Whitebeard's crew. We don't know really anything about Kaido's past. We may end up learning more before Wano is through. We gotta get a Kaido flashback at some point, right? I hope so. We got one for Big Mom. (laughs) And then here was a fun nugget, Jordan. Right after this bit where they show the Yonko bounties, we see the current Warlord posters, right? Their actual physical bounty posters which is actually the first time we've seen them in any media. Oh, really? Well, I think we saw Buggies prior to when he became a warlord, but we had never seen Hancocks before, we'd never seen Mihawks, and we'd never seen Weevils, but they showed them off for the first time in this anime episode. I wonder if they, like, cleared those with Oda prior to this episode happening. I wonder if he had any intent to ever <laughs> reveal those four. Uh, who's to say with that, man? Pretty much. We also find out here that the reason that the world government was comfortable with letting go of the warlords as a military force is because of something called the Special Science Group. What do you think that's about? Well, let's let's think about the, the scientists that we know and who has been willing to work with the world government. It's probably got Vegapunk. I feel like he's he's got his name written all over this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You think Vegapunk has something to do with the science group? Call me crazy, but yes. <laughs> I think you might be onto something there. Maybe it's like a new upgraded form of pacifista. Oh, or I something. hope not. Maybe they're mass producing those suckers now. You hope not. What? Yeah, why would I want those to be more powerful? Well, I guess so, but like, I think it was outright said on Sabandi after the time skip that the pacifistas that were on Sabandi, that, uh, Luffy, Sanji, and Zoro easily one-shot each. That those were the same prototype models as were used pre-time skip 
So I guess it can be assumed that the, the current models would be much more powerful and maybe a threat to New World pirates, because otherwise those old models aren't going to be doing much good, you know? No, not at all. Shortly after the special science group is mentioned, we find out, not very clear on like why this was relevant if they decided to <laughs> mention this to this particular group of Marines, but I guess they were going over bounties. Why not mention two more? We find out that Whitebeard's bounty was five billion forty-six million, and Rogers was five billion five hundred and sixty-four million eight hundred thousand. Large numbers. Yeah, they had some real issues with those two. Quite. Now, Jordan, have you heard of the theory about Luffy's end of series bounty? No, I didn't know there was one. It's been a thing pretty much ever since the bounty's gotten to the billions, but it really took off after we learned Roger's bounty. Now, the word gomu can be read in Japanese as 5-6. So if you like kind of tack that number on into a, a bounty in the billions, you would get a bounty of 5,656,000,000. So 5,656,000,000. Gomu, gomu, right? Mm-hmm. which I think you'll find is just a tiny bit more than Rogers was. Yeah. So the theory is that that will be Luffy's end of series bounty and that Oda chose that slightly lower number for Roger to kind of tease at that potential interaction later on. It makes a lot of sense. I like it. I like it too. And it's classic Oda to make like a big decision like that based off a of pun. Absolutely. It's it's great. Now, at this point, Akainu saunters on in, directly says, Hey, why are you telling them about this? We're way too busy to get involved with an alliance between Kaido and Big Mom right now. They mentioned Odin in brief as being involved with Whitebeard, Roger, and Shanks, and that's pretty much the end of the episode. Yeah, Akainu shows up. We get a few good shots of the goat. And then it's it's out. I think the goat was kind of the highlight of the episode. He made some really good faces, so yes. And they just cut back to him so frequently for no reason. It was excellent. Now, in terms of animation, there wasn't too much going on in this episode. Like I said, mostly exposition. But uh, I enjoyed it quite bigly all the same. I'm still happy to sit there and watch it. There was more recap than... I like at the start of this episode, like before the title card hit. Yeah, it was like six minutes. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a bit, but... Classic One Piece, am I right? And they wonder how they got this many episodes. Mm-hmm. But uh, anything else you would like to comment on before we move on to Manga Chapter 1001? Nope, I'm ready. All right. So, that brings us into the next segment, Manga Chapter 1001. Anything you'd like to comment on about uh, our cover page here, Jimbe hanging out with uh, some jellyfish? He looks real happy. It's simpler times. It's nice. Who do you think is more pleased about this scenario? Jinbe, the one taking a nap, or the jellyfish that he is sleeping on? I think if I'm allowed to consider the jellyfish as a collective, they win for sure. But if it's just a one-on-one, probably Jimbe. That looks like a really comfy jellyfish. It certainly does. All right, let's get into the meat of the chapter proper. We pop up here with the aftermath of Luffy's big punch, 
Now, right off the bat, I'm kind of surprised they're going straight back into this after Chapter 1000. I was really expecting to touch in with uh, how Sanji and the others are doing with their fights before getting back into this. But uh, I think I prefer this information first. It's still just building and building, so keep it coming, Oda. Pretty much. Down at the bottom here, a couple interesting things happening. Kid, physical combatant, his plan was to smack Kaido with a whole bunch of metal and hope for the best, is surprised that Kaido can be hurt by physical blows. Uh, Kid, what were you planning on doing then, <laughs> if not hitting Kaido with a physical blow? Good point. I didn't really consider that. That's pretty silly. Classic Kid. Like, he mentioned it to Killer a couple chapters back. Killer's like, hey, I think we got enough metal, and... Kid's like, nah, gotta grab more. Gotta hit him even harder. And here he is, surprised. Yeah, and Killer, his number one guy, is also a physical hitter. That he is. Hmm. Really makes you wonder what they're doing here. Law starts a statement, says, let me just say one thing that isn't really expanded upon for another couple pages. Kaido says there's only a a handful of people capable of fighting him, and then he puts Luffy on the same pedestal as these five guys. So that's respect from Kaido. Very impressive. I think we find, like, a couple instances of respect from Kaido scattered throughout this chapter. A couple pages after this, Luffy doesn't quite dodge the Thunder Bakua, but certainly takes it better than he did the first time. <laughs> after Kaido, uh, barely hits Luffy with his attack, he goes, very good, boy. You won't let the same one hit you twice head on. I mean, Kaido's been looking for a, a challenge for a while, and but he knows Big Mom can hold her own against him, but to have someone else capable of this is probably very exciting for him. Yep, he's been looking for a way to die for a long time. And not just any way to die, uh, a respectable way to die, I guess. Right. After that... Zoro shows off that he stole Kinemon's technique and uses it to great effect. Indeed. Slice Prometheus right into. I could be wrong, but I think Zoro has seen Kinemon cut fire literally one time, making this all the more impressive. And I don't know if Luffy's ever seen him do it. That very well could be true. I'm trying to think of anything and nothing comes to mind. The only two instances I specifically remember where Kinemon cut fire was he cut that explosion shortly after we meet him on Punk Hazard. Zoro was there for that. And then recently he cut Kaido's fire blast attack, which neither of these two people were here for. So I'm just kind of surprised. I guess he must have mentioned it to Luffy at some point, but uh, Luffy's brain isn't the best at retaining information. But uh, Luffy still looks like gets hit a little bit by Prometheus's flame there, down on the bottom. He says, yow, looks real hot down there. And then uh, Zoro yells at him not to lose focus, and then he almost immediately does. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the way it goes. Classic Luffy. Law pops him out of the way, allowing him to dodge Kaido's big old club swing. And then Law has some grievances to air. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Law solidifies his place as one of my favorite characters by taking the time to say, I already had this plan. Don't don't put yourself too highly right now. <laughs> You're making me look bad, Luffy. I was already planning on teleporting them away, and then you said something, and it made it look like I was following your orders. Very embarrassing, Luffy. Right. I was waiting for the most <laughs> dramatic moment, and you ruined it. Stupid Luffy. This is especially funny because, like, this was a hot button topic, like, on Reddit and such after last chapter. People, like, did comment that it kind of made it seem like Luffy was commanding law and he was following his orders. So it kind of feels like Oda is speaking directly to those people who believe that. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with it. I like to see it. So, uh, kid loudmouth that he is decides to get involved and they decide on a fun little game they're gonna play where big mom shoots three fireballs at the three of them and whoever flinches first is a loser and they all try their best (laughs) oh yeah this is this is gonna be a moment to watch when it gets animated oh yes 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 and then zoro's reaction on top of that like yes give it to me now (laughs) zoro says look didn't I just tell you the focus, like, two pages prior? Right. Like, thank goodness Zoro is here. I also think it's particularly fascinating, because uh, Law is generally, like, a very serious character. Oda doesn't give him a lot of, like, faults. Least of all, like, face faults like he does here. He's played for jokes a couple times, like, with the bread thing. But uh, Oda generally likes to play him very straight. But uh, mm-hmm. here he is getting wrapped up in... Luffy stupidity, and I love it a lot. Yeah, Law susceptible to Luffy as well, it turns out. Aren't we all? Mm-hmm. Uh, then we pop to a little interaction between Zoro and Killer. Uh, we get confirmation here, and I think this is something you and I also discussed. Uh, we get confirmation here that Killer was indeed a little bit nerfed in their, in their confrontation way back when. Uh, Killer is definitely more comfortable with his blades, the the Punishers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Zoro stays strong and says, uh, doesn't matter. Still would have gotten you. <laughs> you also got to consider that Zoro was also a little bit nerfed at the time because he only had two swords. Right. And he was fighting two guys at once. So like, I'd argue that uh, Zoro was a little bit more nerfed than Killer was, but he's playing it strong all the same. I think you have to on this stage. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, they do manage to land some hits on Kaido, and he even looks like a little bit bothered by it on the next panel. He says, well done, and then immediately Zoro says that he has to unleash Enma more, so like, he's obviously on the right track. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure like what exactly unleashing Enma more means. <laughs> well, doesn't this blade draw on the hockey of the user? Yes, it does seem to like forcibly suck it on out of you he's been limiting it himself but now he's going to release the limiter a bit more to hopefully cut i see so the in this onigiri slash he was holding back too much and he's gonna let enma do its thing a little bit more in future slashes you think that's what i took it as for sure i think that makes a lot of sense they all say i'm gonna finish this all at once and they do their biggest moves all of them kind of say it at the same time. They've been shown to be cocky and thinking that they can handle this. They all do seem to be kind of competing with one another to 
deal the final blow. I think it's pretty likely that Luffy, between these three, is most likely. Yeah, and then this next two-page spread is... I mean, that's that's got to be people's wallpapers already, right? <laughs> I have no doubt about that. Now, you see... Uh, I don't remember the details, but uh, remember I mentioned earlier in this episode that Arter guy who like, does deep dives into these chapters? Yeah. And I saw a tweet from him speculating that uh, the little face on... Um, uh, the skull face on Kid's Little Mech. On um, Punk Rotten? Yeah. It's a reference to like a David Bowie album. Because like David Bowie, oh. I don't know a lot about it, but according to him, David Bowie is considered to be like one of the founders of the current punk genre. And that's what uh, all of his attacks are named after. That's a nice time. I'll send it to you in a little bit. You know how earlier I mentioned that Kid was saying a, a weird little thing at the beginning of the chapter? Something that like didn't seem to really add up to his like fighting style. Oh, yes. We get a similar thing from Law here. He says on the left, I will go straight inside the body to deliver a surgical death. But instead of doing that, he makes a whole bunch of rocks and drops them on top of Kaido. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that this is some sort of two-step plan, but right now it does seem disjointed. Agreed. But uh, all three of them smack them real hardcore. It does look like in the third big panel that Law is just dropping all those stabby rocks on him. But maybe he's like teleporting them inside of him. I don't know. That's not the impression I got, but could be. No, I, I agree. And unless for some reason Law and Luffy have talked about this as a tactic, I'm just a little confused about this fighting style. I think what happened is that Law made these stabby rocks. He was like, alright, they both said something. I gotta say something too. And like, here's a bunch of rocks isn't a very cool thing to say. So, <laughs> That's true. He's gotta keep his image up. Exactly. We find out this chapter that, that is something Law is concerned about. So, that's my best guess. After these three smacks, uh, which do seem to at least, like, bother Kaido. We don't see him, like, bleeding in any of these panels like we did with uh, Luffy's big attack from last chapter. But he at least feels it. Oh, he's, yeah, he's doubled over from the Kong gun. He's squished a little bit by the punk vice, and <laughs> he makes noises when hit by the rocks. <laughs> do you think that's him shouting, ah, in that panel with Law? Yeah, I don't think Law's, like catchphrase is uh <laughs> but i also have a hard time picturing kaido yelling out in pain like that okay maybe it's not a yell of pain maybe it's anger well, that could be he doesn't look that mad the next time we see him though he's in fact laughing war row 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 yeah that's true yeah and big mom herself is also laughing for some reason she also found that exchange very funny. Or maybe she's been laughing all this time ever since uh, the three of them made those faces several pages ago. I mean, neither of the two big bads here have unleashed their full power, so I'm sure she's just excited to really get into it. Indeed. She's pulled out uh, Napoleon, her funky flaming face sword, and she's ready to rock and roll now. 
also we see that uh, Killer and Zoro are about to join in, so it's just a full group effort. Indeed. And on the final bid page, Kaido says, all right, we're going to kill you, take all your people, and whoever wins is that much closer to becoming the Pirate King. Yeah, that's that's another final pin in that respect that we were talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Turns back into his dragon form for some reason. Not very clear on why he would have done that. He does appear to be, judging from his showing so far, stronger in his like, normal form, you know? Yeah, but this is... He, he covers more ground. It's an intimidation thing. I suppose that's true. It could also have just been the easiest way to get all of the rocks off of him. <laughs> you think it was just a matter of convenience? Could be. I, who knows? <laughs> that's true. Uh, but yeah, that about covers the events of the chapter. Anything else you would like to mention? No, I think that's it for the manga. Alrighty. Well, unfortunately, we are on another break next week. Um, chapter 1002 will come out January 31st. And next week, I think it'll be a normal anime episode, 959. And uh, we'll cover those things as they come. Uh, all right, and that takes us into our reread segment, covering chapters 16 through 30 of the manga. Take it away. Some things that I wanted to hit. I found it interesting that Buggy compares Luffy to Shanks, not Roger, even though he would know both of them. Uh, yeah, that's true. And uh, Buggy also counters that with, like, if you're going to be the Pirate King, that clearly makes me the Pirate God, even though he, again, knew and like heavily respected Roger, the Pirate King. And should know how strong he was. Right. I mean, I think that's just him trying to boast. I agree, but that's like a, a tall boast for someone who knows specifically how powerful Roger was, you know? Okay, fair. Fair. Totally fair. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that he immediately compares him to Shanks, even though he doesn't seem to like care about the straw hat. He didn't immediately know that that was Shanks's. But I think he says something to the tune of, I thought I recognized it when Luffy points out that Shanks is the one who gave it to him. Right. So it's not the hat that he's tying Luffy to Shanks with. There's there's something about the way that Luffy acts that ties him to Shanks. Just the vibe. <laughs> I definitely would not have thought about this so much the first time I read it. Agreed. Now, it's also possible that, like, you know, we know that Buggy was on Roger's crew, right? But Shanks was like a friend of his of sorts on Roger's crew. So it's possible, and I think perhaps even likely, that he was more familiar with Shanks than he would have been with Roger himself. So his first instinct would have been to compare him with Shanks as opposed to Roger. Okay, that's fair. And they are both kind of goody-goodies as far as we know. You know, like you said earlier, Shanks has been seen to be pretty chill. It's true. Likes to hang out, party, and drink a whole lot, and... That's the bulk of his interactions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the next thing that I noticed was that Buggy kind of got the the Kuma treatment before it was a thing. What does that mean? He got blasted off by Luffy and just happens to luckily, I guess, land somewhere where he doesn't drown. <laughs> I see. Yeah, that is pretty fortunate for Buggy. 
when this world is like 90% water or something, pretty fortunate. <laughs> exactly. Like either Luffy has some insane foresight or just extreme luck on Buggy's part. Maybe that uh, bazooka was meant to kill him. He was like, all right, I'm going to blast him into the water. Never going to see Buggy again. And darn, he survived. I mean, uh, Luffy blasts people away like that pretty frequently. So he has no regard for whether or not they live or die. Now, that is the end of this Buggy stuff, more or less. I want to, before we move away from Buggy, I want to pop back a little bit to that flashback. Um, we see for the first time two... Well, one more so than the others. Like, real big, important characters during that flashback. That's the first time we see uh, Rayleigh, even though we don't know who he is at the time. I won't for another 500 chapters. And we also see a slightly more obscure character named Stopper Gaban. You know who that is? Uh, I remember the name for sure. He was mentioned somewhat recently in the Odin flashback, as, like, I think Roger's, like, describing who his, like, top two fighters are. And he mentions Rayleigh and the stopper guy. Uh, he fights with an axe. I don't know if you have the, the chapters in front of you, but uh, he pops up in one of those panels. All right. Yeah. I mean, we also see Shanks possibly getting drunk as a child, which is fun. That's what the pirate life's all about, isn't it? <laughs> Pretty much. He heard of the Roger Pirates. He was like, you know, I might be like 12 or whatever, but pirates drink and i'm gonna be a pirate yeah this is my time <laughs> yeah one of the bigger points that i wanted to bring up is suspension of disbelief is very important in this obviously uh because when a man says that he fell into a treasure chest and survived for 20 years you have to be able to just fully immerse yourself into the story and say yeah that's okay that can happen in this universe and if you can't do that, like, if you can't get past this, I'm not saying this event specifically. I'm saying the idea behind it, where you just go into this, and you see a man, and he says, I've been in this treasure chest for 20 years, and you have to be Luffy and just say, yep, that makes sense, moving on. <laughs> I see. I mean, thinking about it, the logistics of that are pretty ludicrous, but yeah, I agree. Like, it just, it, it does not make sense in almost any way, shape, or form. But you just, you say, okay, cool. This was a nice little distraction, I guess. And now we're going to move on. Yeah, the whole Gaimon thing is just kind of a nice little distraction. Because generally speaking, Oda doesn't like put stuff in his story that isn't going to be relevant in some capacity. And nothing in Gaimon in this little guy I'm on Ireland chapter, comes up again, ever. Right, it's it's uh, it's certainly not Chekhov's Gaiman. <laughs> Might be one day. Now, we do learn in that chapter, I wrote it down here, that uh, this is the first time the like, structure of the world is described, with like how the world is divided by the, the red line and the grand line and the four quarters. That's true. But aside from that, where they could have just slapped in anywhere, <laughs> had they had the thought to the next thing that i was going to comment on first originally i was going to say like wow usopp is so much more annoying at the start than i remember like it, it does get justified fairly quickly and i'm willing to accept that so i decided to sort of rescind that 
annoying with his lies and such you mean when he says he has 80 million men like of course any rational human being even if he is like whatever 16 or 18 at this point 15 14 what does it matter you know that 80 million is too much yeah way too much and then he immediately goes into hysterics about it when nami calls him out and it's just it's a bit too much like i get that he's comedic relief like to a certain degree but it's it was a little over the top but it is it's a persona that he has built up in order to help someone at at the base of it so it's hard to be super critical of it i suppose but at the same time you got to consider that his we're talking about like at the beginning when uh they first get there right when he's trying to bluff nami and luffy and zoro into leaving pretty much right if his intent was to like protect his village from pirates probably should have chosen a more reasonable number even if he is used to lying in its streams you know exactly like it's just it's a bit too much but whatever if these three were like as far as usopp knows just ordinary scrub pirates he could have picked like a number like a hundred and that would have been enough to spook reasonable normal people you know there was only three of them (laughs) yeah i'm i'm with you on that silly usopp is the point the next thing that I wanted to comment on was Kuro. Well, I guess he's not Kuro at the time. He's Klahador. But his uh, his shoes and his poos. <laughs> you got something to say about his poop jacket? Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> Don't mock his style. He's trying his best on a butler's salary. Sometimes that's all you can afford, man. Okay, then explain the striped shoes. Uh, butler's salary. Fair enough. It's goofy. <laughs> like, I don't know if Oda was just trying to paint him as a bad person before anything really happened, and that's why he chose the poos. But it's weird because it's not as, it's not as extreme as Oda is often want to do, but it is... It's unusual. Uh, agreed. Oda does have a tendency to go a little over the top with his character designs. And while, in general, Kuro is a little bit understated, his poop and shoes, and I think his like pants are also a little bit too short, all those things are uh, make him stand out. Yeah, so I guess maybe this is just uh, Oda kind of dialing in the way that he represents certain things and certain people the final thing since i think we're getting close to chapter 30 at this point when Django hypnotizes his own crewmates and makes them a lot stronger and more ruthless one of them a regular person punches a cliff and it breaks then luffy gets hypnotized and punches a bunch of dudes those guys are all definitely dead, right? I mean, you would think so, but I would also think that when they were hypnotized to be stronger, it also like buffed their defense stat as well. So I think the point you're getting at here is Django is OP and he needs to be nerfed. He certainly could be overpowered if, if he put his mind to it, but too bad he's an idiot. I think, yeah, his... 
his brain limits him <laughs> more than anything else. No doubt. That's all that I have on these 15 chapters. There was not that much deep stuff for me to go into. It's good to see Usopp's beginnings, but they're... I don't know. They aren't even delved into at this point yet. He hasn't he hasn't taken his path, you know? Indeed. Usopp only gets better from here. Right. Do you have anything to say on these uh, bunch of chapters? Um, the only other thing I wanted to mention is that this is the first time Usopp's father, Yasop, is mentioned. And that thinking about it, like, in the scope of these 15 chapters, we get a lot of, like, Shanks backstory <laughs> within this chunk. Yeah. But uh, aside from just learning that Yasop is Usopp's father, that he was in Shanks' crew, and is thus a pretty big deal, um, we don't learn that much about him at this point. Right. Yeah, it's it's just a, it's a sprinkling of the start of information. Indeed. But uh, yeah, that was the last thing I had written down of note. All right. With that note, uh, the next manga chapter, 1002, comes out on January 31st. Uh, anime episode 800 and f- or, sorry, 959 should come out next Saturday. And uh, unless you have anything else to say, I just will go ahead and wrap it up here. Nope. We're out of here. All right. See you guys next week.